Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, things will be just a little bit different, as this story has a different ending than most of the cases I cover. I've been waiting to tell you this story for over a year, and final sentencing just happened last week. This is the story of Flavian Carvalho and an 11-year-old boy in Orlando, Florida. Let's get right to it. International Drive, more commonly known as iDrive, is an 11-mile thoroughfare in Orlando, Florida. It's the city's main tourist strip located near all the major attractions. There are hotels, shops, and plenty of places to eat. And it's where, in April of 2014, Rafael Lopez decided to open Mrs. Potato, a Brazilian-inspired restaurant that specializes in, well, you guessed it, potatoes. And we're not just talking your run-of-the-mill potatoes, either. Mrs. Potato features more than 20 potato-based entrees that can be customized with vegetables, cheese, seafood, and meat. While it may be a new concept to Americans, the Brazilian people have been onto the versatility of the potato, and potato house-style restaurants are popular in their home country. Rafaela Lopez wanted to bring a taste of Brazil to Orlando, and when she did, the people loved it. The restaurant gained popularity rather quickly. And I mean, looking at their menu, it's really just basic science. They know their potatoes. According to the Orange Observer, just eight months after opening, the restaurant had outgrown its small space on iDrive and moved to nearby Kirkman Road into a larger building. And that's when things really took off. Food critics, bloggers, and the local news took note of the restaurant. So much so that just three years after opening, the one and only Guy Fieri came into town and Mrs. Potato was featured on diners, drive-ins, and dives. A little fun fact. NSYNC's Joey Fatone and Planet Hollywood CEO Robert Earl made the trip to Mrs. Potato for that episode. For Rafaela Lopez, it was a dream come true. She stated to the Orange Observer that it felt like winning the Oscars of the restaurant industry. She went on to say that even through all the press and hype, the family feel of the restaurant would never change. She said, I always try to be here and talk to my customers. I pretty much know my regulars by name. That relationship is very important and I'll never change being that way. We're a family restaurant and that's how I like to be known. But soon, Mrs. Potato Restaurant would be back in the press for something else. Something more than just tasty potatoes and a homey feel. It all started on New Year's Day 2021. According to WESH News 2 Orlando, waitress and manager at the restaurant, Flavian Carvalho, was called into work after another employee called out sick. Flavian, like Rafaela, had also immigrated to the United States from Brazil and made a home in Orlando with her husband and her two daughters, who at the time were 18 and 21. She had been working at the restaurant for over a year and quickly risen to a management position. Flavian made her way into work to cover for the sick employee. 
It was a holiday, so the restaurant was packed for most of the day. Eventually, things began to wind down, and it was almost closing time when the last table for the night was seated. They were the only customers left in the restaurant. The family of four chose a seat, tucked in the corner, and all sat down at about 10.30 p.m. A waitress made her way over to get their orders, but when the food was served, Flavian noticed that a plate was missing. Only three plates of food had been served, but this was a family of four, two parents and two children. She went over and asked if everything was okay, thinking that perhaps the waitress or kitchen had made a mistake and the family was missing the order for the boy. But the father told her that everything was fine and that the boy would be eating at home. Flavian then offered to get at least some water for the young boy, but the parents refused even a basic and free glass of water. At that point, she felt in her gut that something was wrong, so she began to watch the family closely, especially the young boy. He appeared to her to be about eight years old. He was sitting against the wall, and nearly every part of his body was concealed under clothing. He was wearing a black hoodie with the hood up, glasses, and a face mask. But the clothing didn't cover up the fact that this boy appeared to be emaciated and gaunt. Flavian also noticed that while the rest of the family were happily eating, interacting, and joking with one another, the young boy sat quietly, withdrawn from the rest of the family. As she looked closely at the boy, she saw a scratch on his forehead and between his eyebrows, bruising around his temple, and bruises on his wrist. The longer she observed the family, the heavier the feeling got that something was very wrong. But what could she do? She didn't know this family or the situation. It was almost closing time and her shift was almost over. The parents were right there within inches of the boy. How could she communicate with him without alerting them? She could have come up with a million and one reasons to push that feeling down and go on about her shift, clock out, go home to her own two children, and forget all about the boy and the hoodie and glasses. But that wasn't Flavion. She knew in her heart that she had to do something. Thinking on her feet, she devised a plan. According to WFTV9, she grabbed a piece of paper, a marker, and wrote down the words, Are you okay? She positioned herself and held the note up out of the view of the parents and where only the boy could see it. The boy nodded silently that he was okay. Flavion asked again. She wrote down the word, sure, with a question mark, and again the boy indicated that everything was fine. But she couldn't shake the feeling that something was wrong, so she continued to keep her eyes on the family. Flavion later recalled at a press conference held by the Orlando Police Department that the boy continued to make eye contact with her and at one point seemed to signal with his eyes that he was in distress. So she decided to ask again. She made another sign that said, Do you need help? And with those four words, this time the boy signaled that he did in fact need help by nodding and briefly crossing his arms as if he was cradling himself. She quickly reassured the boy that help was on the way by jotting down the word okay on the sign before heading to the back of the restaurant out of earshot of the family to notify the owner of the restaurant, Rafaela, about what had just happened and to seek advice on exactly what to do. Rafaela and Flavian decided the best course of action would be to call the Orlando police. 
so Flavion did just that. She explained the situation to the dispatcher and urged police to come quickly, as the family would only be at the restaurant for another 10 to 15 minutes. Officers arrived moments later. As they began to question the boy about his injuries, he initially indicated that they were accidental. He claimed the scratches and bruises on his face were from falling out of bed and the injuries to his arms were from wrestling around with his stepfather, 34-year-old Timothy Wilson II. As the deputies were speaking with the family, Flavion was still concerned that the boy hadn't eaten, so she went back into the kitchen and fixed a sandwich. She brought it outside where the little boy was standing with his mother and officers. The boy wouldn't accept the food, and instead, he meekly handed it over to his mother, Kristen Swan. It appeared he wasn't even able to eat without his parents' permission. Parents that had just devoured an entire meal in front of the child without allowing him as much as a glass of water. As investigators on scene continued speaking with the boy, they asked him to pull up his sleeves so they could get a better look at the injuries on his arms. At this point, the severity of the child's injuries were apparent. This child was in severe pain from the simple act of rolling up his sleeves at the request of the officers. And when officers were finally able to see the boy's arms from underneath the long sleeves of the hoodie, numerous deep bruises and scratches, all in various stages of healing, were revealed. The officers noted that while they were talking with him, the boy was hunched over in pain. At some point, he began to complain of chest pains. The investigators were sure that these injuries were due to abuse, and eventually the boy admitted that his stepfather had been beating him with a wooden broom, a back scratcher, and closed fist when he failed to complete military-style exercises. He was forced to do as punishment when his parents decided he had done something wrong. At that point, EMS was called to the scene and the two children were transported to the hospital. According to court documents, at 12.22 a.m. on January 2nd, Timothy Lee Wilson was arrested on one count of child abuse at the scene. Investigators would soon learn that the abuse the child had bravely confided in them was only the tip of the iceberg. After the children arrived at Arnold Palmer Hospital, the four-year-old girl was found to be in good physical condition and of a healthy weight. But the same could not be said for the young boy. The injuries to this child were extensive. There wasn't a part of his body that didn't have a scratch or a bruise, including his earlobes, and his arm was broken. According to court documents obtained by the Orlando Sentinel, medical officials noted that this child had also suffered repeated trauma to his head. So severe, they were concerned it could result in permanent brain injury and mental health issues. And while the staff at the restaurant initially believed the boy to be around the age of eight, at the hospital it was discovered that this child was actually 11 years old and approximately 20 pounds underweight. The meal that was withheld from him that night was clearly one of many, and it was obvious that the abuse had been going on for an extended period of time. It was as if these two children had been plucked from two completely different homes, one covered in bruises and emaciated, and the other in great physical condition and of a healthy weight. This led to a ton of speculation. You see, Timothy Lee Wilson was not the biological father of the boy, 
but was the biological father of the four-year-old little girl. While there is never a logical reason to abuse a child, that fact caused many to speculate that he had abused the boy because he harbored resentment due to Kristen's past relationship with the boy's father. But it's also possible Timothy Lee Wilson II is just a trash human or some horrific combination of both. I'll let you decide on that one. After medical professionals at Arnold Palmer Hospital realized the extent of the 11-year-old's injuries, the Department of Children and Families was notified. The children were placed in protective custody, and the child soon disclosed more details about his abuse to DCF workers, which were backed up by his four-year-old sister. What the boy disclosed was so horrific that the Orlando Police Department's Special Victims Unit was called in. On Monday, January 4, 2021, forensic interviews were conducted with specialists trained to speak with children. Investigators learned that Timothy Lee Wilson and Kristen Swan had moved to the Orlando area from Alabama in May of 2020. They and the two children had been staying in an extended living hotel in the area. Due to the pandemic, the 11-year-old had been attending school virtually. The abuse of this child had been going on for years, but things took a turn for the worse around Christmas break. The 11-year-old had disclosed during those forensic interviews that Timothy Wilson routinely beat him with a metal pole, a wooden broom, and his own fists for failing to complete those military-style exercises, such as squats, push-ups, mountain climbers, push-up planks, and toe lifts. According to court documents, the boy recounted to investigators, If I don't do something I was supposed to do, I have to do the exercises, and I don't get to eat anything all day. If I do things right, I get to eat and not do exercises. This child had routinely been deprived of food and water. The longest stretch of time he could remember not having anything to eat or drink was three or four days. On the days he wasn't allowed food, Wilson and Swan would come into his room at night to make sure he hadn't snuck in any food or drinks. The documents state his room because this child didn't stay in the same hotel room alongside his parents and sister. Instead, he had been isolated and locked away in a separate room that was used for storage. However, being separated from his abusers offered him no comfort since Wilson had convinced him that there were, quote, spy cameras in the room and his every move was being watched. OPD detective Aaron Lawler described one incident in which the child was unable to do a handstand as Timothy Wilson instructed. So as punishment, Wilson tied this child by his ankles and neck with ratchet straps and hung him upside down inside of a doorway with only his fingers able to touch the floor. He was kept in this position for roughly 20 minutes. Detective Lawler recounted another incident which occurred on Christmas Day, a day that should have been filled with laughter, joy, gifts, family, and friends, was filled with torture for this little boy. This child should have been anticipating tearing open the gifts that the big man in the red suit tucked under the tree the previous night. But this baby awoke to a nightmare. There were no presents, no excitement, no joy. And Wilson and Swan had the audacity to blame this torture 
on Santa Claus himself, telling the boy that Santa told them he needed to be punished. As other children ripped into their presents and headed out to play with their new gifts, ate happily surrounded by love and all the magic of Christmas, this little boy was handcuffed to a furniture dolly with his hands behind his back and ratchet straps torqued tightly around his ankles. And no one, not even his own mother, came to his rescue. The child was told that he had to set himself free. Sometimes there are simply no words. On Tuesday, January 5th, 2021, two arrest warrants were issued. One for Timothy Wilson for an additional three counts of aggravated child abuse and neglect. And the second for the boy's mother, Kristen Swan, for two counts of child neglect after she admitted to knowing about the abuse and failed to seek the medical care that this child clearly needed. They were both arrested. And as the investigation progressed, Wilson continued to rack up charges faster than Julia Roberts in the movie Pretty Woman. Charges that Wilson eventually entered a plea of not guilty to. Officers recovered multiple items of evidence from the extended hotel they were living in and the family vehicle, including a bent metal pole, a wooden broom, a dolly cart, handcuffs, and the ratchet straps that were used to restrain the child. A press conference was held on January 14th by the Orlando Police Department. Flavian Carvalho, Detective Lawler, owner of Mrs. Potato Rafaela Lopez, and OPD Chief Orlando Roland took questions from the media. Detective Lawler was in tears as she publicly thanked Flavian for stepping in to save the boy, stating that the level of torture this child had suffered shocked her soul. She went on further to say that as she and other detectives with the Special Victims Unit were reviewing photos of the boy's injuries, they were reminded of the heartbreaking case of Gabrielle Fernandez, and that if Flavian hadn't stepped in when she did, this case would have ended the same way, in brutal murder. Restaurant owner Rafael Lopez expressed how proud she was of Flavian and the courage she displayed on that fateful night. At times, she too was moved to tears as she spoke. Rafaela went on to say that she and Flavian both believed that divine intervention had taken place, pointing out that Flavian wasn't even scheduled to work that day and was simply covering a shift for another employee. The boy and his parents were the last customers in the restaurant that night, giving Flavian the opportunity to spend extra time at their table. Not only was the family seated at the only table in the restaurant where Flavian could have communicated with the boy, Without alerting the parents, the boy was sitting in the only seat at the six-top table where this was possible. Rafaela stated that at her restaurant, quote, We do not only serve food, we serve our community. Flavian also spoke and detailed the events of that New Year's Day, stating that she believed she was a tool in God's hands used to save the little boy. She wanted everyone to know that the real hero was the 11-year-old boy. She spoke about his courage to ask for help at the press conference and later to the Daily Mail, stating, The little boy was so brave. He not only saved himself, he saved his little sister by standing up to this man. 
I am so proud of him. He is the hero. Orlando Police Chief Roland reiterated the fact that the actions Flavion took that night undoubtedly saved the child's life. He said, that child was destined to be killed. That's how severe the injuries were. That's how horrific the recollection of the abuse the child shared with us was. He encouraged members of the community to use this case as an example of, if you see something, say something. The community rallied around both the boy and Flavion. A trust was set up for the 11-year-old boy and his sister. And Mrs. Potato Restaurant was overwhelmed with phone calls and messages of people wanting to do something for their hero waitress. Rafaela created a GoFundMe on Flavion's behalf in order to streamline things. At the time of this recording, $60,000 has been raised for Flavion, who has put the money to good use, launching the Flavion Carvalho Foundation, where she continues to raise awareness for victims of child abuse. WFTV9 reported that three weeks after the boy was rescued, Flavion received a letter from investigators letting her know that the boy was doing well. It just so happened that Flavion got that amazing news on her birthday. She told the outlet that the update was the best birthday gift she had ever received. She went on to say, I plan to be in touch with him if I can. To me, it's like he was born on my heart that night. So I really like to track his life and always at least know how it's going and being in touch with him for the rest of my life. Around this same time, Kristen Swan was able to make bond and bail herself out of jail. The same cannot be said for Wilson, who of course faced more serious charges. According to court records obtained by the Orlando Sentinel on January 21, 2021, Wilson called Kristen Swan from the Orange County Jail, where, shockingly, all calls are monitored and recorded. Prosecutors listened live and in color as Wilson told Kristen he had a great defense. He just needed her to go along with it because if their stories matched, they could clear their names. His grand plan of a defense? To tell the jury that the 11-year-old victim was lying and to establish that the child had a, quote, history of telling lies. The mountains of evidence be damned. He'd just call the victim a liar. I mean, if that ain't the oldest trick in the douche canoe handbook. Wilson also told Swan that she needed to plead not guilty because that would help his case. In a conversation the following day, he faked concern about wanting to regain custody of the children. He told Swan that he would, quote, make up shit if that's what it took to get her kids back. Who's the liar now? As you can imagine, there was no getting the kids back and the jury wouldn't buy Wilson's grand defense of calling the victim a liar and claiming he hadn't abused the boy. He was simply being a parent and disciplining the child. On June 6, 2022, after a short trial and a two-hour deliberation, Timothy Lee Wilson II was found guilty of all the charges he had racked up two counts of false imprisonment on a child under the age of 13, three counts of aggravated child abuse with a weapon, four counts of aggravated child abuse, and one count of child neglect. On Friday, August 19, 2022, 
Wilson was back in an Orlando courtroom for sentencing. Multiple victim impact statements were read, many of them from detectives and members of the child protection team, who expressed that the abuse this child had suffered at the hands of Timothy Lee Wilson was the worst case of abuse they had witnessed in the history of their careers, asking the judge to throw the proverbial book at him. The last statement came from a paramedic who responded to the scene the night the child was rescued. His recollection of that night speaks for itself, so I'm going to play it for you now in its entirety. The last written statement is for, from Andre Gaines, to whom it matters. My name is Andre Gaines. I am an engineer paramedic employed by the City of Orlando Fire Department. I began my shift on January 1st, 2021, assigned to Rescue 10 for 24 hours. In the early hours of January 2nd, 2021, I was dispatched to the public's parking lot near the 4600 block of Kirkman Road. Responding to the scene, I had no idea this call would change my life and continue to haunt me for the rest of the year and beyond. I have been working the streets of Orange County in the city of Orlando for 30 years in an emergency medical services capacity. During that period, I have responded to various emergency scenarios with significant injury up to and including death. I have had to treat people that were hit by a train, pedestrians hit by a vehicle, as well as bicyclists or motorcycle riders struck by vehicles. I have seen multiple patients that have been shot and near death if not already dead. I have treated patients who have been stabbed and had their internal organs visible through the wounds. I've been to auto accidents where occupants due to the force of impact became entangled in the vehicle. I have responded to and treated patients that have been injured in active shooter incidents. Having witnessed all of this and treated the extreme, I was still in a good place mentally. In the early morning hours of January 2nd, 2021, that changed. I was directed by OPD to evaluate the injuries they observed on an 11-year-old boy. He was wearing a hoodie and I could still see the bruised area and swelling on his right cheek. I asked him to remove the hoodie from his head for further examination. When he pulled it down to his shoulders, I saw injuries that actually made me tear up. Prior to this incident, I have never encountered a child who was conscious, alert, and aware of their surroundings with the injuries I found. He appeared what to be dead. He, he had what appeared to be dead tissue around the rim of his right ear. There was significant bruising behind the right ear that was consistent with a basilar skull fracture. It takes an enormous amount of blunt force to cause this type of injury. Once I got him into the back of the rescue for transport, I had him remove the hoodie. He had finger bruises on both biceps. He had a bruise on his chest that was significant blunt injury. He had peppered bruises on his back in various stages of healing. When asked how it occurred, he told me matter of fact, he was regularly beaten by his stepfather. He described to my horror how he was hung upside down and beat with a broomstick or back scratcher. He described how he was repeatedly punched in the chest by his stepfather. His description of the abuse made me feel like he thought this was a normal way of life. I am confident that had the waitress not intervened, this young man would have died from the abuse he was subjected to. My life has forever been impacted. I am lost at how any grown adult male can process that beating and abusing a child is okay. I am lost at how this man who had a visual reminder of what he was doing to this boy was not prompted to stop or seek medical care for the boy's injuries. 
Fortunately, in this situation, God is the ultimate judge for the soul of this man. However, since this is not about God, and it is about the here and now, this man deserves to never experience a day that he can walk amongst the human race. He should never have even the remotest possibility to interact or injure another child. He doesn't deserve to be an integral part of any family unit because, in my opinion, he is not fit. He is a coward that would never attempt to do this to another grown man. I realize the impact he has had on my life is minute compared to the impact he has had on this young man. I hope, Judge, that you will be, I hope that the judge will find that you will sentence him to prison for as long as legally possible. I hope that he will be placed in the general population whenever he goes to prison. Even then, he will still not have a proper concept of how he has damaged the boy or impacted the lives of all those who had to deal with the aftermath of his choices. After that emotional testimony, it was Timothy Wilson's chance to speak. And if you thought he'd express deep remorse or show any emotion, well, you'd be wrong. His defense attorney read a rambling letter of half-assed apologies, littered with plenty of self-serving statements and a steaming pile of bullshit excuses piled right on top. In part, Wilson had written, and I quote, I love and I love wrong. I love my family, each and every one of them, and in doing what I did, it wasn't for malice. It wasn't to be cruel or for personal joy. It was to chastise my son and to discipline and show responsibility as he was growing up. He went on to say, I'm not guilty of not trying, and I'm not the monster I've been made out to be. It was all about enough to gag a maggot. Thankfully, the Honorable Judge Wayne C. Wooten saw right through it and had a few choice words for Wilson before imposing his sentence. Again, I can find no better words to express the gravity of the abuse this child suffered and the utter lack of responsibility Wilson took for his actions than those the judge said in open court. Here is Judge Wooten addressing Wilson. So Mr. Wilson, I'm about to impose sentence in this case. Usually when I impose sentence, particularly after trial, I will share a few words so that everyone in the court understands the court's reasoning for the sentence it's going to impose. Oftentimes I feel like, to some small extent, it might give guidance to the defendant might give guidance to society at large as to what the law does and does not allow. Candidly, I've struggled to find what words I could possibly express or need to be expressed to address the circumstances of this case. As I've sat and listened to the presentation, certain words that were presented to me stood out in my mind. The fact that you repeatedly reference this as a mistake, or your conduct as a mistake. At other points, the word unfortunate was used. And then at one point, Ms. Sweet used the word problematic to describe your behavior. None of those are words that would remotely reach my perception of your conduct in this case. Probably the only words I heard in the defense presentation that would match my perception of the evidence in your conduct 
was the phrase grade A horrible. I spent 10 years on the bench. I spent 16 and a half years before that as a lawyer, almost all of that time working in criminal justice. I'm aware of cases that had more, of child abuse that had more tragic consequences, cases involving the death of a child, cases where a child received a permanent injury, such as being paralyzed, things of that nature. But I don't ever remember any case of such prolonged, malicious, extensive, and ongoing abuse as was presented in this case. I understand that people in society might have reasonable disagreements about the role of corporal punishment in the raising of children. But I can't believe any reasonable person would look at your conduct and find that that conduct falls within the realm of reasonable parenting. You have utterly failed, not only in the role of parent, but simply in the role of human being. And for those reasons, I'm going to impose the sentence that the law allows me to impose, although candidly, in many ways, I feel like it is short of what you thoroughly and richly deserve. As to count one, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to life in prison. As to count two, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to life in prison. As to count three, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to life in prison. As to count four, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to the statutory maximum of 30 years in prison. As to count five, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to life in prison. As to count six, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to the statutory maximum of 30 years in prison. As to count seven, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to life in prison. As to count eight, I'll adjudicate you guilty and sentence you to the statutory maximum of 30 years in prison. As to count nine, I'll adjudicate you guilty. I'll sentence you to the statutory maximum of, actually, as to count five, since the lowest permissible sentence is 378 months in the Department of Corrections, as to count nine, I'll sentence you to 378 months in the Department of Corrections. As to count 10, it's also going to be 378 months in the Department of Corrections. That actually is the statutory maximum as to count four, so it's 378 months on count four. I will designate you a sexual predator pursuant to Florida statute. If for some unfathomable reason you're released from custody before your death, you'll be, need to require to comply with all those conditions. That's a judgment sense of court. Mr. Wilson's remained in custody of the Department of Corrections to serve his sentence. Timothy Wilson was sentenced to the maximum on each of his 10 counts. He is currently in custody at the Orange County Jail awaiting his transfer to a Florida prison where he will spend his natural life behind bars. Weeks after Wilson's sentencing, the state reluctantly offered a plea to Kristen Swan to spare the child of having to sit through another trial and testify against his own mother. They weighed all the facts, consulted mental health experts, and determined the trauma of another proceeding far outweighed the benefit of the maximum punishment Swan would receive for the charges they believed they were able to prove. Swan accepted the deal and was adjudicated guilty on aggravated child abuse and failure to report child abuse by a household member. On September 16, 2022, she was sentenced to 364 days in jail 
and 14 years probation upon release, with the condition that she can never have contact with her children or any other minors. The cuffs were slapped on her after sentencing and she was led away to be booked in the Orange County Jail. The boy and his younger sister are both reportedly happy and healthy, and together, they are both being cared for by the now 12-year-old's biological father, who Kristen Swan cut out of the boy's life for years, refusing to allow contact, seemingly to cover the horrific abuse. Flavian Carvalho remains in contact with the family and is still a part of the children's lives. I mean, we didn't expect anything less from this absolute queen of a woman, now did we? As I wrote this story, I was constantly reminded of the words of author and professor Stephen T. Asma, who said, Wherever we find monsters, there too, we also find heroes. While there are definitely two monsters at the center of this case, there are countless heroes who stepped up and undoubtedly rewrote the ending to this story. There are several definitions of that word hero, but I think the most simple one is the most accurate. One who shows great courage. Like the courage Flavian Carvalho showed on New Year's Day 2021 when she looked into the eyes of a real-life monster and decided that his reign of terror ended with her. Sometimes all it takes is one person to step forward and the other heroes follow. Flavian Carvalho has received multiple awards for her display of bravery that day. The Florida Cabinet issued a proclamation declaring January 28, 2021, Flavian Carvalho Child Advocacy Day in the state of Florida. The proclamation read in part, With these four words, do you need help? Flavian Carvalho stifled fear and paved a way to the child's safety. I'll leave you today with the words of Flavian herself. Please, if you see something, especially against kids and the elderly, the most vulnerable, don't be afraid to do something about it. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all-new case next week, and I can't wait. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month, and as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.
In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. <laughs> 